my first experience with porn was in the sixth or seventh grade. It got quiet really fast. Do you notice that? Isn't that a great way to start a sermon? It's uncomfortable. Well, it's okay. It gets a little better. So, uh, and mom's here today, so this is awesome. All right? So, my first experience and only experience with porn was in sixth or seventh grade, and some buddies of mine uh, came to me, and they were like, Mark, Mark, we need to show you something at the 4-H crown. I'm like, what do you need to show me? No, shh. We need to show you some pictures. Pictures of what? Shh. Shh. We have some pictures at the 4-H crown. Okay, so we bicycle along to the 4-H crowns, which back then, all the 4-H barns were open all year long. You could do whatever. Nobody cared about safety back then, okay? So tucked away in the crevices of one of the stalls in one of the 4-H barns is this crumpled piece of a magazine. And as it unfolds to its size of three inches by two inches, I could clearly see that it was woman flesh. I think to this day it was a thigh. I'm pretty sure it was a thigh. I wouldn't swear to it on a Bible or anything, but I'm pretty sure what I was looking at was a thigh. And that was the porn. And it was hush and secretive about it. And fast forward to 2012, right? I mean, things could not be more different today than my experience in little old Hartford City, Indiana. It's a very different world for boys and young men today. It is a constant parade of doctored images like we just saw, photoshopped women that don't even exist in real life, training male brains to uh, think of what the ideal woman is supposed to look like. Um, And it doesn't do anybody any service. If you go uh, to the mall today, the Victoria's Secret banners in the mall show more flesh than I saw before I got married. (laughs) And some of you are like, well, Max, you lived under a rock. No, I lived in Hartford City, Indiana. It's a legitimate town. It was the county seat, okay? Um, But I want to make a case that today's culture is a sexed-up culture. It's a highly sexualized culture. Uh, culture that we have today. Um, and there's a lot of factors that, are, that play into it, but combined, it's changing men's brains. And it's not helping women. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, if you don't believe me, just go to Prosper High School, um, uh, Prosper, Texas, where uh, a group of athletes started something they called Team Snapback. So this is members of the football team of the Prosper High School in Texas, they formed this club, Team Snapback. And uh, what they did, this made the news in the last 30 days, they would invite girls over uh, to basically uh, drug them and then have sex with them and toss them back when they were done. And they, uh, they called it Team Snapback. It was a club for guys. And some of you are like, that's terrible. Well, it's just one case. Well, no, actually, this is happening quite a bit. Um, in, in Piedmont High School in Oakland, California, a group of athletes formed what they called the Fantasy Slut League. And what they would do is if they could get girls to do certain sexual acts for them and with them and to them, they could accrue points. And the person with the most points won. They also had uh, a category where girls could earn points to become to win the award of sluttiest woman or sluttiest girl. Uh, this, was, this is what one of the team members involved had to say about it. At the time, we never thought of it as being bad. 
as it really was and how it could hurt girls. At the time, we guys didn't think, what's the harm? They're willing to do it. They're willing to participate. Um, Another kid, Mike, a 16-year-old, put it this way. He said, um, uh, Piedmont girls will do anything to be popular, he told me, no matter what it takes, even if it means slutting around. They're just girls. (sighs) Okay, and that's an attitude, I think, that is pervading everywhere. And some of you might say, well, Max, come on, boys will be boys. It's always been that way. Uh, I beg to differ. I can remember a time in American culture where men were kind of pushed and expected to become and be a gentleman. It came out of some things in the Victoria era, Victorian era, but it was rooted in Christian virtues. And it was rooted in the idea that a real man deferred to a woman. A real man considered her needs greater than his own. Oh, how things have changed culturally. That's not, that's not true today. From my vantage point, there aren't a whole lot of gentlemen around. Um, and, and so today I want to talk to men. So if you're a woman, you can check out, you can, you know, play Tetris on your phone. Um, you know, you just whatever, you catch up on your Bible reading. You could probably get through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, probably the Gospel of John by the time we're done. So, you know, just hang, hang with this. Although what I'm saying to men, you might be interested in because it kind of applies to you. So, but I want to talk to, to you men. And for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to channel Andy Stanley, who in great clarity spells out what's really going on culturally. So if you've heard it before, you can hear it again in all its stereo wonderfulness. In America, in America, I believe it's the case that women are treated like a commodity. And I say that as a man. In, in man circles that I travel, in just observing culture, women are treated like a commodity. And the message through media, through games, through music videos, through uh, sitcoms on TV, what these women are screaming to men that are watching all of this stuff is, take me, use me, do whatever you want with me, and when you're done, toss me aside and get another one. And it's harming all of us, uh, in the first century, women actually were a commodity. In the first century, if you were a woman, you were persona non grata. Um, in the first century, it was perfectly legal for you to sell, have sex with, or put to death a woman's slave, and no one cared. It's a girl. There are lots of them. We can make more of them. It's no big deal. In the first century... It was the case that among Romans, uh, they had this practice of exposing infants. So if you had a baby that was born and it was maybe a little deformed, it had three arms, you know, or whatever, you just, you didn't, you didn't kill it because that would be cruel. You would put it in a clay pot and let it die. And if it died, oh, well, that was just fate. If somebody picked it up and wanted to care for it, again, that was just fate wasn't your problem, wasn't your uh, issue, so to speak. Um, But on the whole, most of the babies that were put out to be exposed were girls. That's who got put out were girls. Um, I want to read you this quote from the first century. This is a letter that a man writes his wife from the first century. He says this to his wife. I'm still in Alexandria, if we can put that up. I'm still in Alexandria... 
I beg and plead with you to take care of our little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. In the meantime, if good fortune to you, you give birth. If it's a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, expose it. And there it is, black and white. Parents would, would dump these girls into containers. They would dump them in the river. Why? They're girls. Who cares? And that was the attitude. That was the mindset. Um, it got so bad that Augustus tried to institute some laws to force uh, wealthy uh, uh, Roman men who weren't getting married to marry. He actually fined unmarried men. If you weren't married and you were a man, not, didn't have a wife, weren't, weren't supporting a family, Rome would come in and tax you more because you weren't doing your part for, for, for king and country, so to speak. Um, and it was common among the wealthier classes of Roman citizens, you know, the mindset was, well, I don't want to have to deal with the woman. Are you kidding me? I can get my needs met through slave girls, through young boys if necessary. I don't want to have to fool with a woman. Pfft. They're just girls. And that was the mindset. That was the cultural milieu into which Christianity gets started. And so when you read things in the Bible, you need to understand that that's the larger context in which they're set. It's that world that Jesus walked in and taught in. It's that world that Paul makes these commands to wives and husbands and talks about how we should treat one another. It's that world that, that they're living in and, and, and dealing with. And so Christianity changed a lot of things, but one of the things that changed was mindsets and attitudes about women. And it wasn't by accident. It wasn't by accident. In John chapter 13, Jesus does something completely unexpected. It's, they're having a special meal. Everybody's been walking in the muddy, dirty, manure-covered uh, uh, streets, and their feet are disgusting. They're going to have this meal where they recline at table. It means they're leaning on one side, and my feet are butt up against your face. Not very pleasant eating if I, my feet are covered in mud, manure, etc. So there's a dirty job that somebody has to do, and the servant girl isn't at the door like she's supposed to be. And one by one, these men file through, and they see the towel and basin. They know this job needs to get done before dinner, but one by one, they all have the same attitude. Oh, my, are you kidding me? Where is the servant girl? Servant girl, come on, get your butt out here. There's a dirty job that needs to be done. I'm certainly not doing it. I'm not doing it. And they all sit down for dinner. And who gets up from the table? You know the answer, church. Who gets up from the table to do the dirty job? Jesus, the king, the boss, the rabbi. And one by one, he washes their feet. And after that, he says this to them. He says in verse 34, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. I'm like, okay. This isn't just a sentiment that you put on the back of your car with a fish and a bumper sticker. You know, like coexist or... I teach, I touch the future, okay? You know, it's not a platitude, you know, love one another. It's, it's not that because there's something that follows it, okay? Uh, uh, now I give you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. 
oh, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. What do you mean, just as I have not? Yeah, see, all of a sudden, now that's specific. We've got a clear picture on that kind of love. That's the grab the towel and basin and serve people love. We have a clear picture of that. And in the next day, Jesus is going to get nailed to a cross and die for others. He's going to sacrifice himself for the benefit of other people. Okay, that all of a sudden brings clarity to the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, doesn't it? It's, it's foot-washing service, cr- dying on the cross, sacrifice kind of love that he's talking about. So I give you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Wait a minute. Wait, uh, Jesus, I got a, I got a question. Wait a minute. You, you don't mean, you don't like, that doesn't mean women too, does it? Oh, yes, it does. No, 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 come on. Seriously, really? Women? No, you got, yeah, yeah, women. In the first century, among, in Christian circles, uh, they saw themselves as all adopted into God's family. And they called themselves brothers and sisters. It was so common that the Romans thought that the early Christians were incestuous because they referred to each other as brother and sister all the time. Romans got this mistaken idea in their head because when they, when they would hear Christians talking to one another. All right? So it's in that context that Jesus is saying, love each other. Love with service love, sacrifice love. You love them. Are you kidding me? Wait a minute. Women? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, doesn't matter. You love them because that's what I did for you, and I expect you to do that for one another. Well, come on, Jesus. Now, wait a minute. I get, okay, fine. They're my sisters in the body of Christ, but you need to know I'm a married man. See, in my household, I'm the head of the house. I wear the pants in my family. No laughing. I wear the pants in my family. I am the king of my castle, to which Peter has something to say to us. Oh, you're a king in your castle, are you? Uh, interesting. Jesus is a king. Well, let's talk about that. And that's in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Peter says this, in the same way, you husbands must give what? Honor to your wives. Treat your wife with what? Understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not go hindered. Come on, man, don't you, my wife is like a nag. No, you honor her. No, you don't get it. My wife is not honorable. No, you honor her. No, you, my wife doesn't even manage our household well. No, you honor her. There's no conditionality about this command from Peter about her virtues or lack thereof. This isn't Rome. The Christians understood this. If you're a person of power, if you're a person of authority, you don't operate and roll like the Romans do that lord it over everybody and crush everyone under their boot, so to speak. No, Christians with power use that power to serve and sacrifice for others. And that's the consistent testimony of the New Testament and the consistent witness we see in the history of the early church. That's exactly what they did. All right? And, and, and if that weren't enough, Peter in this section is basically saying, look, if you don't treat your wife 
who is an adopted daughter of her heavenly father the way you should, God won't even listen to your prayers. As a dad who has some daughters, I think I understand what that feeling might be. All right? So, men, I got to tell you, how you treat women matters. I see this all too often among uh, the texting world. You know, a girl texts you. You don't even text her back. Why? Because she's a girl. I don't need to. What a waste of time. That attitude is not the attitude of Jesus. When you go out on a date with her, right? And I know there's the whole awkward thing of, well, how long should I wait before I contact her? And should it be by Facebook or by phone? Okay, set all the how and when aside for a moment. There are guys who got on a date and they will never call her back. Why? Because it just didn't do anything for me. And besides, I don't even think she's going to put out. And She's just a girl. There are a ton of them out there. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Andy Stanley has some very, very good practical and scary advice that I would like to share along those lines. If you're a man or a young man, I want to ask something of you. In your iTunes playlist, do you have songs that refer to women as bitches and whores? If you do today, would you delete them from your iTunes? Get rid of them. Erase them. Don't have them on there. Why? Because they're your sisters in Christ. That music is training your mind to treat them and view them as an object, as a commodity, as something that you can use for what you want. And when you're done, you toss them back into the water. It's not right. It's not honoring to God. Get rid of that music. Secondly, I want to talk about the visual images that men can let parade through their mind. And this isn't a message about porn, but I have to talk about it because, again, it's training your brain. If you are watching porn, if you're entertaining yourself with images on a constant basis, you need to know something. You're getting an education. It's like going to college. What that porn is doing is it's rewiring your mind. And what it's rewiring your mind to do is that your mind now lo- no longer and your heart no longer is going to get excited or aroused by a real woman. So it's training you to not to, for a real woman not to be enough for you. And if you get married, see, married guys figured this out a day late and a dollar short. They did porn, they did porn, they watched porn, they watched porn, and they were training their mind. They got married and they thought, when I get married, that's going to fix everything because I'll have frequent, consistent access to sex. Problem solved. And they got into the marriage and then they realized, oh, crap, her body doesn't do it for me. My brain has been hardwired. See, Christians have said for years that porn was bad. And in the early days, all the liberal people were like, oh, you Christians, you're just prudish and uptight. Well, now sociologists are coming along and they're like, whoa, this is like rewiring male brains. Danger, danger. Okay, daylight and a dollar short, social, you know, sociologists, come on, right? So here's some practical advice. If you got a girlfriend and, and you're dating and you're into porn, Please, just set her down, look her in the eye, grab her by the hand and say, I love you, I think I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but you need to know something. Your body is never going to do it for me. Even when we're married, it's just not going to be enough for me. But I love you anyway. Give her an out so that she has an opportunity 
to find somebody that her body will be enough, all right? So I know this is kind of, whoa, it's hard hitting today. Yeah, well, it is because our culture is training men not to be real men. And I, for one, am sick and tired of it. And so for those of you that are younger and listening, this is important stuff. This is why when you hear your parents or you hear other people going about, you know, porn is bad, porn is bad, there's a reason. Because they want you to grow up. And, you know, if, if, if it's part of God's plan for your life and you find someone and you guys commit to each other and you get married, that, you, that that marriage can be a blessing and not a chain ball and chain around you. All right? Let me ask a question, and the question is, what does love, not just any kind of love, not just, you know, random sentimental stuff, but the foot washing, dying on the cross kind of love, what does love require in this situation? So guys, there's a good question. You have a girl that texts you, you have interchanges with girls, what does love require in this situation? Love requires some things, it does. Even beyond that, What's in her best interest? Now, sometimes she doesn't even know what's in her best interest and what she thinks she wants and needs aren't necessarily in reality. But, you know, the older you get, the more in life you can ask the question, what's in her best interest? What does love require? And so my homework is real simple. Be a gentleman. Please be a gentleman. This world, what would happen if Christians in America had a reputation because Christian men were simply gentlemen? You know what would happen? You'd have all these Jewish moms in Boston going, forget the Jewish boys. I want you to find a nice Christian man and get married. We'll take him to synagogue later. That's what would happen. Okay? Be a gentleman. And this isn't, being a gentleman is not hard. It's not like you have to have a whole list that you're nervously, you know, oh crap, you know, rule number 6,422, look her in the eye, <gasps> look her in the eye, look her in the eye. Oh, okay, you know. No, it's not like that. Imagine today if you were invited to lunch and Michelle Obama showed up to lunch along with her Secret Service security detail. Do you know what you would do without even having to think about it? You would defer to her. Oh, Mrs. Obama, I, you want this seat? Can I get you? Can I get the, No, 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 no. You don't need to get anything. Can I get you something? Boom. You would defer to her instantaneously because she was the most beautiful, powerful woman in that room. Boom. The president's wife. And you wouldn't even have to think about a list of rules. You would just do it naturally. Well, Treat every woman that way. And there you are. It's a path to gentlemanness. All right? Now, some guys might object to what I'm saying today, and they might say, come on, I'm in a relationship, Max, and my woman, my, you know, she doesn't care about this stuff. She doesn't, you know, the marriage is not something that's a road that we're on. Our relationship is just physical. You know, it's just an exchange. I get some things out of it. She gets some things out of it. It's use, use. Mutually using one another is not the same as mutually valuing one another. And if you claim Jesus as your king, you're commanded to love her, regardless of the parameters of the relationship. Here's why this is so important to me. I have a son and two daughters. I could care less whether my son gets a 4.0 GPA 
I could care less where he goes to college or if he goes to college, but by God, I care how he treats women. I care profoundly about how he treats women. I have two daughters. I have two daughters, and I don't want my daughters to have their hearts broken, their bodies used, and to have them simply tossed aside by some guy who looked at them as a commodity. That's why this is important to me. These girls and women out there that you encounter, some of them are adopted daughters of a heavenly father, but they're somebody's daughter on earth. And I think, I think the feelings that I have for my own daughters, I think God must have some amped up, you know, hey, that's my girl that you're with. That's my daughter that you have kind of a thing. I think that's why Peter talked about it maybe hindering some prayers. I think I can get the emotion or the feeling of that. I believe that we can change this part of our culture as a church family. So if you've got, if you've got kids, moms and dads, if you've got sons, your job is to make, turn them into a man who knows how to treat women. And that's hugely, hugely important. You will do every girl they encounter a favor if you train your, your young men, your boys, to become men who are gentlemen. And if you've got daughters, you train them up onto what to expect. You know, it, you should be honored. If he's not honoring you, then you should walk away. Because if he can't honor you now, he won't honor you when he puts on a tux and, and you put a ring on his finger. Because it's a path. All right? I want us to be a community of faith where our men are gentlemen. And where it's always spoken well of generations men because they know how to treat women. Because they honor them. And they treat them as the sisters in Christ that they are. And in that way, we all honor Christ.